Good evening, family. Uh, my name is Mwiti, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving you guys this evening. I'm also part on staff here at Every Nation, uh, Tuana, the Willows Congregation. Um, are you guys excited for the broom ball on Thursday? Um, uh, Linda, I don't appreciate that jab about us going to bed at 8, 8 p.m. For your information, it's 9 p.m. <laughs> um, but I just want to encourage you guys that, you know, this, this uh, is one of those moments where it's not just about the broom pole, but it's about us actually getting to know each other outside of church. Um, it's about us getting to do life together as well. Um, you know, um, some people uh, have met spouses at these social events, and so, you know, you never know what the Lord might do um, at the broom pole. You know, that as someone is sweeping, there's a prophetic vision you have. <laughs> um, huh? That's not <laughs> jokes, just jokes. Don't go there looking for wives and husbands. Go there just to fellowship, get to know people, uh, and get into family because we are a spiritual family. That is one of our values. Um, we aren't just people who come together and worship the Lord on Sunday, but we have been added to this family. And so let's get to know each other um, through the broom ball. Awesome. Um, so as we transition into the word for this evening, um, one of the things about me is that I grew up in a church where we, in a church, in a home where we went to church every Sunday. Uh, I didn't know why uh, we had to go to church. I was forced to go to church. Um, and there'd be times where I just wanted to rebel and not go to church. But um, I have the kind of parents who would be like, it's either you're going to church or you're going to roam the streets, but you're not going to stay um, in the house. And so then I ended up just like, okay, let me just go to church. And one of the things about uh, what I learned about church growing up is that I have to um, look a certain way, I mean, dress a certain way, behave a certain way. Like, I couldn't be myself going to church, right? So I wanted to wear shorts uh, and then flops at church, but my, my parents were like, nope, none of that. Not here in this household. Uh, you have to wear uh, that shoe that has a very sharp point at the end, very formal <laughs> dress, because you're going to church. You need to respect the Lord and honor the Lord with your clothing. Um. And so till this day, I do not know, you know, through that, right, um, I didn't know what the point of being a Christian was, right? Um, so stay with me. Don't panic. Um, even though, um, yeah, anyway, when we look throughout Scripture, right, the term Christian is only mentioned three times. The term Christian in the New Testament is only mentioned three times. That's shocking, Right? And when this term was used, it was used as an insult. It wasn't used to help identify someone in terms of what they believe, but it was used to insult uh, the early followers of Jesus. And so uh, the reason why it was an insult is because the people uh, at the time were, 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 because Christians at the time, not Christians, followers of Jesus at the time did not want to uh, identify with the lordship of the Roman emperor. Their primary concern was that, man, we have surrendered our lives to Jesus. We have given our lives wholeheartedly to Jesus, and he is our Lord, and he, uh, is, he has the final say in our lives. The emperor doesn't. And so the local citizens at the time made fun of them for that, to say, because you don't uh, uh, see our, our Roman emperor as your Lord, you don't see Caesar as Lord, you guys are just Christians. It was an 
insult. And so Christian refers to followers of Christ who did not acknowledge the emperor of Rome. The emperor wanted to be known as Lord. So biblically, from this, we can infer that a Christian is someone who rejects the lordship of the world and accepts the lordship of Jesus. Biblically. Because they did not, want to say, they did not acknowledge uh, the emperor as Lord, but they acknowledged Jesus as Lord. How many of us acknowledge anything and everything but Jesus as Lord? During our prayer this, the, the, this afternoon, uh, one of the things we were speaking about in our group is how uh, we don't want to acknowledge God as being God and allowing him to be sovereign and have control and have authority. And there are times and moments in our lives where we have taken up that mantle of being Lord in our lives. But Jesus is calling us to something different than that. So Jesus being Lord means that he has final say over each and every single area of our lives. He has final say over how you make your decisions, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, who your friends are, which church you go to, who you marry, what car you drive. He is Lord and he has say over everything. He has the final say. That is what the Bible describes as lordship. That he is master. There is no one who has final say. We don't even have final say of our own lives simply because he is Lord. How many of us can safely say that in our lives that Jesus is truly Lord? How many decisions in the past week have we made without running them past Jesus? One of my, um, so I'm. <coughs> So I'm on something called ministry partnership. And so what ministry partnership is, is that we have people who believe in the work that we do, um, who partner with us financially on a month-to-month basis. So one of my ministry partners, um, she showed me her prayer journal um, just to encourage me to uh, solidify this foundation of lordship. And in her prayer journal, she was asking, Lord, should I go see so-and-so? And then she had a response from the Lord saying, no, don't go see them now. Go see them in two weeks' time. Asking, Lord, should I go see so-and-so? And the Lord would say, no, don't go see that person now. Rather, pray for them. Lord, I want to have a conversation with my sister-in-law about how she treated me. And the Lord was like, no, now is not the time to speak to her about that. Now is the time for you to pray for her. And I saw this and I'm like, this is intense. But then I realized that if Jesus is truly Lord, this is how I ought to approach my relationship with God that he has final say over each and every single thing. How I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I raise my kids. And one of the things is, if you've been a Christian as long as I have, uh, you get to a space where you stop seeing yourself as a child of God and you start seeing yourself as an adult of God. Because now you're an adult, you have money, you're paying rent, you're paying medical aid, uh, you, you, you have kids, you drive a car, you have a social life that you can finally afford, you can go on holidays, uh, you can decide when to speak to your parents or not to speak to your parents. You're thinking that, man, I have authority and I can make these decisions over my life. But nowhere does scripture encourage the whole concept of being an adult of God. Rather, it says you are a child of God. And when I look at my children who are completely dependent on us as their parents for each and every single detail of their lives. They wake up each and every single day not knowing what's going to happen, but we know, not, not we know, my wife knows what's going to happen in their lives. 
what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, who they're going to interact with, where they're going to go. My wife has complete sovereignty over their lives. It's the same with God, is that he has complete sovereignty and authority over our lives to the, to the smallest detail. And so, one of the things, again, about the early believers is because their lives look so radically different from the people around them, it testified that they are living under a different kingdom, that they have a different king and emperor. Do our lives look different to the people who don't believe in God, or do they just look the same? Is our life honoring God in such a way that we are drawing insults from people who don't believe in God? Because that should tell us whether we are truly following God or not. But then there's a word that the early uh, followers of Jesus were known as. And this word appears 261 times in the four Gospels and the book of Acts. And that word is disciple. So we see that scripture places a greater emphasis on being a disciple rather than being a Christian. May I humbly submit to you that in our day and age, a Christian is someone who believes in God or someone who just goes to church. Is that when we say we are Christian is to help us and help the world around us identify us in terms of saying, no, 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 I'm not really a Muslim. I'm not Buddhist. I don't believe in these all, other, all these other things, but I am a Christian. But how many people do we know who say they are Christian, yet their lives do not reflect that Jesus is Lord? over their lives it shows something else sometimes people say yes they are christian but they only pray when they ask god for help when things get tough but other than that they are just living their lives not acknowledging jesus christ as lord so that is how christianity is defined in this day and age as a, dis a disciple is the following is someone who lives by personal conviction of who Jesus is based on biblical truth and reproduces it in others someone who lives by personal conviction of who Jesus is based on biblical truth and reproduces it in others this evening we'll look at a scripture where we clearly see Jesus calling us to be a disciple rather than a Christian by today's worldly standards and so the title of my sermon this evening is Don't Be a Christian. Would you please stand uh, as we read the word? Uh, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. It's a very popular verse. Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 18 to 22. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 18 to 22. Uh, it says the following. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat of Zebedee and their father mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word rings true today. We thank you that your word is profitable to lead us into a life of righteousness, a life of holy living, a life where we honor you as our Lord. 
Father, I pray that this evening you would speak to us through this sermon, that we would hear you calling us to be your children, living lives where we are completely dependent on you rather than the things of this world. Whatever thoughts, whatever ideas I have around the sermon, Father, I lay them down at the cross. I lay them down at your feet. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak in and through me. You know where your children are. You know what it is that they need to hear. And may they hear you speak to them in a loving way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, as I was reading the scripture, a question I asked myself is, why would Jesus call fishermen? Because he was here to establish his kingdom on this earth. Why not call people of a greater influence within society? Why call the people who are basically at the bottom of social hierarchy at that time? Fishermen aren't that people who aren't that influential within that society and within that time. So why would he call fishermen for this great mission? If this mission was so big, if this mission was so world-changing, why not approach the emperor of Rome himself so there could be a top-down change within society as a whole? So, to answer that question, we have to look at why they became fishermen. So, uh, in, uh, early, in the Israelite culture, what had to happen is that your biblical education started at the age of five years old, right? And so between the ages of five and eight, uh, the, the, you go to the temple and they're teaching you the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And by the age of eight or nine years old, you knew the first five books of the Bible off by heart. That was part of their training. They knew the word intimately. They had memorized the word um, clearly. What would our nation look like if we prioritized the word of God from a young age? What would our lives look like currently if we knew the Bible to that degree as well, starting from the age of five up until the age of nine? And so they were learning the word of God. And so you keep learning and keep learning in the temple up until the age of around 13 or 14 years old. At that age, your formal education ends, and now you have to choose a rabbi to continue your training. And so you would go to a rabbi and you would apply and say, hey, I want to continue my biblical learning under your leadership. Or sometimes rabbis would see students that they are teaching at the temple, and they'd be like, this student has the potential to learn even more than what they know now. So then the rabbi would approach that student um, and then they would be under the tutelage of the rabbi. But this was a very select group of young people. The rest would have to go into a trade. So it's either they became a fisherman, they became a carpenter, but they had to do something where, with their hands because they were deemed not good enough to have any significance other than just the basic things to keep society running. And so it is these people that Jesus is talking to. When Jesus says, come, follow me, he is not speaking to old men uh, who have seen life and have gone through the most. He is speaking to a bunch of teenagers, essentially, 13, 14, 15-year-olds. In fact, most of the disciples, when they were called, they were all between the ages of 13 to 18, except for Peter, uh, who at the time was actually um, an adult. And we know this because he was the one who was responsible for paying temple tax, whereas the rest of the disciples weren't paying tax. And so, just as a segue, this is an ad. It's not part of the sermon. This is for free. 
We value the next generation because Jesus values the next generation. The reason why we are on campus, <laughs> the reason why we are on campus is we see that Jesus approached young people to see the world being changed. He did not approach the presidents of the time. He did not approach the wealthy of the time. He did not approach the influential of the time, but rather he approached the next generation. With a mission so important, he trusted teenagers who are still figuring out their lives, who they want to marry, who they want to date, who they are. They have pimples. They have acne. They are going through the most and yet Jesus said, these are the people who I am trusting with this mission. And that is why we value the next generation as a church. In Judges 2 verse 10, it says the following, that a generation arose who did not know the Lord or his mighty works. That's simply because that existing generation did not proclaim who God is to the next generation. Which is why campus, we will always prioritize you guys as students. Youth will always prioritize you because you are the next generation. And Jesus prioritizes you. Okay, you can skip the ad now. So, how do we follow, right? Because uh, the rabbis of the time, and Jesus also was seen as a rabbi because he knew the law so well. He was considered a teacher of the law. He had wisdom that superseded uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the time and the religious leaders that he was also considered a rabbi. When a rabbi approaches them and says, come, follow me, he's asking them to leave all everything that they know, everything that they are familiar with, and come and pattern your life after me. So whenever Jesus woke up, uh, the, the, the disciples had to also wake up because they are, following they are following Jesus to the smallest detail of his life because they are patterning their lives after his life. And so if Jesus was spending time with the sinner, the tax collector, uh, and, 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 the, and, the, and the sex workers of the time, that's what the disciples ought to do as well, simply because that is the example that they saw from Jesus. If, Je if the sick came to Jesus and Jesus prayed for healing over the sick, that is what the disciples had to do as well because they are patterning their lives after Jesus. But you are sitting here and saying, Nadi, we, we, we don't have Jesus um, physically here amongst us. You know, you know he died, right? That he's in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father. So how can we pattern our lives after Jesus? Because we don't see him. The best way that we can see Jesus and see his footsteps and see how he lived his life is through the Bible. It is through us having a personal relationship with Jesus through the Bible. It is us spending time in the Word of God to see how Jesus lived his life and us following that example as well. Even within the Old Testament, the Old Testament uh, testifies about Jesus as well. And so when we read the Old Testament, we read no, looking and searching, say, Jesus, reveal yourself through these Old Testament texts so that we can pattern our life after you. To pattern our life is to let go of everything that we know, to let go of old patterns and old behaviors and the way that we have been doing life and to pattern our life after Jesus. And here's, uh, oh, and here's an interesting thing about the Bible. The Bible is not just a book with words, but it is a window into the heart, mind, and soul of God. 
through the Bible, that is where we get affirmed in our identity. It's when we get set free and we see the love of God just shouting at us and calling us to get to know him even better. The Bible, even though written by man, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit who dwelled in the early disciples told them, write down these words so that future generations can know how to follow me. They can know how to live a holy life and a pleasing life before me. They can know how to surrender their lives to me as their Lord and know what it means to have me as their Lord simply because I have inspired you to write down these words. The Bible is the only book where we get to sit with the author and find out what did the author actually intend when he wrote these words. We can invite the Holy Spirit in our, in our quiet time and ask him, Holy Spirit, what did you mean when you inspired Paul, when you inspired Moses, when you inspired Joshua to write down these words? And how does this ancient text that has been around for generations apply to me today in 2024? It is through the word that we follow Jesus. But here's another interesting thing that happens, that the more we spend time in the Word and the more we try and see Jesus' footsteps in the world, it's the more we see that Jesus spent his, most of his time with those who are far off from him. And so when the Scripture says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, it is simply because if you spend so much time with Jesus following him, truly following him, the natural outflow is that you will become a fisher of men. You will spend time with those who are far off from God and draw them closer into a loving relationship with the Lord. You will proclaim who God is to the people who do not know God so that they may come into a loving union with God. One of the tests that we can do are to see if we are truly following God, if we are truly patterning our lives after Jesus is to see how am I fishing for men? Because if we aren't fishing for men, we aren't following Jesus. We aren't following his footsteps. Jesus at the time did spend some time with religious leaders and with Pharisees and with other believers, but the majority of his time was spent with those who were far off from him. To a point where religious leaders accused him, like, who is this who's spending his time with the sinners and the tax collectors uh, and, the, and the prostitutes? That is not how you ought to live our life. That was the accusation that was there of Jesus. And Jesus told them that I came to seek and save the lost. I did not come to form holy clubs where we're discussing and debating scripture. I came so that those who are far off from me may come and have relationship with me. And so if we are truly following Jesus, if we are truly patterning our lives after the life that Jesus lived, we will be fishers of men. Here's another thing about spending time in the word. Is that over time we acquire many beliefs through our lived experiences, through what people have told us, through even social media as well. We acquire different beliefs. But spending time in the word allows us the opportunity to wrestle with God over these beliefs and, and present them before him and lay them down at the foot of the cross and compare what we believe versus what the word says. 
and truly let go of the beliefs that the world has taught us and embrace what the Lord has taught us about himself. A lot of the times our biggest challenge is that we value the words of the world over the word of God. And so that's something that stops us from truly patterning our lives after Jesus. But here's another thing that we see um, in this scripture. Is that when we follow Jesus, we can't do it alone. You aren't called as an island to follow Jesus alone. It says the following in 1 Peter 5. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Here's the thing about how lions hunt. They do not hunt herds down. They hunt those who have been split from the herd. The lion hunts down vulnerable uh, prey, uh, isolated prey. That's who, the, that's who lions hunt down. And so if you are a believer and you are isolated, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around you, waiting to devour you. When you find yourself struggling to stand firm in your faith, it's because you have removed yourself from family. Because when you are, st- when you are in family, the lion finds it, I mean, uh, the devil finds it difficult to attack you because you are surrounded by people who share the same beliefs and the same value as you. But as soon as you remove yourself from that, you become exposed and isolated to the attacks and the schemes of the enemy. It's the same when you bry. The fire is hottest and brightest when there's a lot of coals together. But if you take one coal out of that heat, that fire will die down in that coal. In fact, you won't be able to pry any meat with that one coal. But when you have a lot of coal together in the pry stand, that is when you'll be able to pry. It is the same because Jesus calls us. The same way he called the early disciples. He called two brothers. He went and he found two other brothers and he called them together. And then the four eventually became 12. 12 became 72. 72 became 500 because he was putting them in a family. Even when Jesus was being crucified, one of the disciples asked him, Jesus, what about your mother? And he says, no, she's your mother now. Simply because Jesus had a value for family. He said it is not about blood, it is not about race, it is not about ethnicity, it is not about what we believe, but it's about me adding you into a family with other followers as well. One thing uh, that I did not mention about uh, when you are called to come and follow and pattern your life after uh, a, a rabbi is that a rabbi believed that the person who I'm going to put under my wing, under my tutelage, that they're going to pattern their life after me. I see potential in them to do greater things than that I have done. I see potential in them to become so much greater than me that I am going to take the time to invest in them so that they can become greater. They have potential to, 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 to discover things about God that I have not yet discovered in my lifetime and teach it to the next generation. I have reached an X amount of people, but through me spending time with this person, they will reach even more people and lead more people into the presence of God because I've invested in them. John 14 says the following from verse 12. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Jesus saw you and I, and he was, even though you are sinful, even though you are broken, even though you are prone to mistakes, you will do greater things with the Holy Spirit in you greater things than what Jesus did. So Jesus prayed and, he, and, and people rose from the dead, which means us as disciples, if we truly pattern our lives after him, we should be praying for the dead and they should be coming back to life. When someone is sick, we should be laying our hands on the sick and praying for them and they should be getting healed. For those who are demon-possessed, we should be able to cast out demons simply because that's what Jesus did in his time. We are supposed to do greater things than what Jesus did. In the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry on earth, it echoes till this day, thousands of years later, because he did something great. But Jesus, seeing everyone seated in this room, said, these guys will do even greater than what I have done. But the greater things happens when we truly pattern our life after Jesus. And so as I wrap up, with every head bowed and our eyes closed, I want to pray for two groups of people. The first group is people who've tried to follow Jesus who've tried to pattern their lives after Jesus, but they found it so difficult that they just got discouraged and gave up. That they became content uh, with just being uh, a casual uh, believer, just going to church, just praying, and not really allowing Jesus to lead them. If that is you, could you please put your hand up? I'd love to pray for you. See that hand, see that hand. You can put them down. Father, I pray that you would speak a word of encouragement to them now. That you would let them know that even though they got discouraged, even though they gave up, you still love them. You love them with an undying, unconditional love. That there's nothing they can do to lose the love that you have given them. That there's nothing they can do to even gain the love that you so offer to them freely. I pray that they would, as they put their hand up, that they would be brave enough to even come back to you and saying, Lord, you have called me to come and follow you. I'm back to follow you. And I pray that when they enter your presence and, and they decide to follow you again, that they would realize that they were not judged for their time of discouragement, but rather you are calling them up. The second group of people I'd like to pray for is that if you have never made uh, a commitment to follow Jesus, to truly surrender your life and recognize him and not only as Savior, but recognize him as Lord over your life, having him be the one to call the shots in your life, that you have been living your life the best you know how and you, and you know that you know that Jesus is calling you to come and to follow him rather than to follow yourself, rather than to follow the modern philosophies of the world, but to follow him. If 
that is you, could you please put your hand up? I'd love to pray for you as well. Come on, see those hands. See those hands. Put them down. And so as you are responding this call to come and to follow, I want to ask you to come to the front. And this is not to embarrass you. This is not to expose you. But this is to show to the rest of your spiritual family who's sitting here that you are being added so that we can walk with you as a family. That you know that you don't have to do this by yourself, but you can do it with other believers. So if you put your hand up, could you please come to the front? We'd love to pray with you and for you. Um, and just take down your details so we can uh, add you into family. Come, come on. Don't look at them. Look here, look here. <laughs> come on. So, um, this is a great decision that you have made to follow Jesus and to let go uh, of your life. Um, the word says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find their life. And whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And so as you are letting go and saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to I wanna pattern my life after you. You will find life and life eternal. Um, so could you please close our eyes as we pray with them. Heavenly Father, can we all just pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to call us to come and follow him. And Father, I have not been following him. But today I choose to start following him. Today I choose to start patterning my life after him. Help me to love you and to serve you all the days of my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Could you please go with Anna so she can take down uh, your guys' details and have you guys added to a connect group? Um, yes, there she is over there. And so, um, my last call for us is uh, if you are not in a connect group, uh, I'm going to ask all the LG leaders and their two ICs, you guys know who you are, to come to the front to help people who want to join a connect group, right? And so if you are not in a connect group, come to the front immediately after the service so you can join uh, a connect group. The reason why we are asking you to join a connect group is so that you can connect to God you can connect uh, to family and you can connect to the world and pattern your life after Jesus, not by yourself, but with other believers as well. And so if you know that you know that you know that you are doing Christianity all by yourself, that is not God's will for you. That is not God's plan for you. God wants to add you into a family. And we have connect groups that meet all over the city where we, where we, we dissect the word of God and apply it to our lives so that we can truly follow Jesus and be disciples disciples of Jesus. So my concluding statement is this, don't be a Christian rather be a disciple. Thank you.